Well, whether or not um, you're familiar with A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens, you've probably heard someone mention one or all of the ghosts in the story that visit Ebenezer Scrooge. There's the ghost of Christmas past, the ghost of Christmas present, and the ghost of not yet to come, or it was just, it was just Christmas future in the Scrooge McDuck version that I watched as a kid. Um, now, the, um, the story has inspired much of our modern sentiment, I think, of using Christmas as a time of reflection. It's a time where we take stock of what we have. We re- reflect on the year that has gone by, and we kind of aim for a renewed effort in the future, don't we? Of course, realising that you've lost uh, sight of the things that matter, like uh, family or charity or justice... That's a a much easier pill to swallow when you're receiving a stack of gifts and eating like a relative for a week on end. It's pretty easy to think that you can have a new year ahead. But if we think that it is Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol that has caused us to make Christmas the season of reflection, well, then we've obviously not paid enough attention to Zechariah's Christmas Carol that's recorded for us in Luke chapter 1. His carol is uh, rich in mighty memories. It pines for a glorious future and it heeds us to wake up now to what matters around us at Christmas time and what should matter to us each and every other day of the year. So in Zechariah's Christmas carol this morning, we will meet the God of Christmas past, the God of Christmas future and the God of Christmas present. Now, I've been struck in reflecting on this passage about just how much Christmas is about memory. It's an annual event in which Christians remember God's people remembering that God had indeed remembered them. It is something that we don't want to forget. But the first time we meet Zechariah in that first reading that we had this morning, he seems to have forgotten the memory of God, hasn't he? He was a priest in Judea. And he knew very well from his knowledge of the Old Testament that there were plans and promises of God recorded there. But when he is visited directly by an angel of God and told that his wife, Elizabeth, who is well past childbearing age, when he is told that she is about to fall pregnant and will have a baby boy to be named uh, John and that he's going to be key in fulfilling all of God's promises... Well, Zechariah kind of seems to forget himself for a moment, doesn't he? And he actually questions this angel. And it's at that moment that the angel reminds him or tells him his name. He says, I'm Gabriel, who's kind of a heavy hitter in the angel team, um, and that they are standing in the centre of God's temple. Think of that. Uh, The angel Gabriel and a priest of the Lord standing in the centre of the temple, and it is in that moment that this priest uses his words to question God, not to praise God. And so he is struck mute for the whole of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Sometimes I wish Gabriel was in my Year 7 Christian Studies class. Anyway, (laughs) uh, and so when we pick up our passage at verse 67, those nine months have now passed and John has been born. And just before this, in the passage prior, Mary had learnt of being pregnant with Jesus and she had rejoiced with her cousin Elizabeth. And now Elizabeth has her baby boy, John, and Zechariah's speech returns. But this time, he does not forget himself. 
In fact, we're told there in verse 67 that he won't do the talking. Instead, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit and will prophesy. Now, I'm sure if I hadn't spoken for nine months, I would have a lot to say, and I'm sure you would too. But when Zechariah's mouth had been closed by the Spirit for nine months, it's only fitting that as the Spirit now opens Zechariah's mouth, that it should be the Spirit of God that bursts forth in song. And the first movement of Zechariah's Christmas carol focuses on the God of Christmas past. Zechariah sings in verse 68 that God is to be praised because he has come to his people and redeemed them. The phrase there uh, more precisely is God has visited his people. Now a visitation is often not a positive term, is it? can stir up images of confrontation, of judgment, destruction even, the day of visitation. And indeed, that's a picture that often does emerge in the events of the Old Testament past. When the angel of death visited Egypt on that fateful first Passover, it was a visitation of judgment. The firstborn boy in every Egyptian household perished on that night. But this past visitation is also a cause for Zechariah to praise the Lord, the God of Israel. The judgment of God visited on that day, but of course, so too did God's mercy visit on that day. Israel was spared that judgment and they were redeemed from their slavery. And so that's why Zechariah returns again and again in these opening verses to the idea of being rescued from our enemies. Verse 71, Zechariah speaks of salvation from our enemies and from all who hate us. Verse 74, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies. Even in verse um, 69, the image of a horn of salvation is used to speak of a king who rescues his people. And particularly there, it's a promised chosen king associated with the house of David, the one that would produce the Messiah, the Christ. See, Zechariah is just pulling on all of these threads of memory in the works of the God of Christmas past. And God's visitation, while often bringing judgment, is tempered also by mercy and blessing. You might remember that he visited Sarah in Genesis to bring her a child when she was in her 90s. But in that same visit, he also spoke of the impending destruction that awaited Sodom and Gomorrah. And soon after that visitation of judgment, Sarah gave birth to Isaac, the beginnings of the people of Israel. And so with that idea of God's visitation being associated with a promised child, well, Zechariah is also singing God's praises now because during those nine months, he's had time to digest what Gabriel had told him in the temple about Elizabeth and the baby boy, John. And I'm sure that Zechariah, his hearing would have been sharper without being able to speak for nine months. I'm sure he overheard Mary and Elizabeth singing together about bearing uh, the Lord in Mary's womb. See, Zechariah knows that in these two infants, God has visited his people already. The birth of John and the return of Zechariah's speech have confirmed this. The miraculous conception of Jesus has now caused Zechariah to praise the God of Christmas past. 
Verse 72 there is probably the key to understanding how God in the past has been working towards this Christmas event. In verse 72, Zechariah actually explains that the reason for God's past visitations to his people was that he's done these things to show mercy to our ancestors. To do mercy is what's going on under the hood there in the Greek. The God of Christmas past is not a God of mere sentiment. No, he's one of action. God's mercy is active. And this is what Zechariah is urging us to remember about God. Indeed, in the rest of verse 72, God does mercy in order to remember his holy covenant. And verse 73 explains that that is the oath that he swore to Abraham. That oath that through his family line, all the nations would be uh, welcomed into share in God's blessing through the merciful act of God's visitation. See, the first movement in Zechariah's Christmas carol sings praise to the Lord because the past is not lying dormant. The past has always been about the active mercy and active memory of God. And we would do well to remember that at Christmas time. God's mercy and memory have visited Zechariah and Elizabeth, Joseph and Mary in these two miracle baby boys. And with these two miracle baby boys now being at hand, Zechariah again draws on Israel's history and then he casts his gaze into eternity as he praises the God of Christmas future uh, for what he has in store for his people. See, God rescues his people from their enemies because God does mercy and he does memory. But the end result is not just that God's people are redeemed, but in verses 74 and 75, Zechariah has a vision for God's people no longer serving God out of fear, but instead serving him in holiness and righteousness all of their days. And again, all of those major moments from uh, the Old Testament are being kind of riffed on here in Zechariah's song. Think back to the Exodus. Why did God want his people to come out of Egypt? Well, Moses' repeated request of Pharaoh is that Israel should be released so they could offer offer, uh, proper sacrifices and worship God rightly in the wilderness away from Egypt. See, God's merciful redemption was so that his people would be redeemed to worship him correctly. And that harks back even further to the oath that was sworn to Abraham. The nations will be blessed, God had said, because they will be drawn to the holy and righteous people of God a people who had been enabled by God to worship him with joy, not out of fear. And at the end of verse 75, it is the God of Christmas future that the people are serving before all of their days. See, for Zechariah, filled with the insight of the Spirit, the future looks bright. With his boy John and cousin Jesus on the way, these mighty promises of the past are going to come to fruition. I wonder how you are feeling about Christmas this year. It is now only a a month's worth of sleeps. If you're a child, that's how you count Christmas countdown. A month's worth of sleeps. Uh, It's an event that promises so much, doesn't it? There's the presents, of course. There's the food. But there's also just the anticipation of being able to sort of switch off and enjoy family for a few days with no distractions. It's kind of idyllic as life should be. 
But I'm sure, like me, you realise that it never completely delivers, does it? There are still dishes to be washed. There are still tensions with relatives to resolve. Christmas can be quite a tense time. There are presents that break or don't come with batteries. And Christmas, it can be painful as you go on in your years to see those symbols of Christmas, like family and food and festivities, just kind of lose their shine. And so that's why as idyllic as the vision from the God of the Christmas future is, it is actually painful to read towards the end of Luke's Gospel just how far from righteous and holy worship uh, the people of God have become. Jesus approaches Jerusalem in Luke chapter 19. That's up on the screen there. And he says in verses 42 and 44, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognise the time of God's coming to you. You see, just as we see these symbols of Christmas tarnished, so too is Jesus deliberately using Zechariah's terms of joy from his song and showing how God's people trash them. The peace that Zechariah had spoken of, well, in verse 42, Jesus says it is hidden from their eyes. God's people are not rescued from their enemies in this passage. Instead, they are encircled by them. Destruction is imminent. And why is this the case? Well, that last phrase there, because you did not recognise the time of God's coming to you. Or to be more precise, you did not recognise God's visitation. Indeed, the very visitation of God himself is Jesus, the one who is weeping these words over Jerusalem. And so the question for us is, has Zechariah been knocking back a little too much eggnog to paint such a rosy picture of the future? Or is Jesus a bar humbug? Is he Ebenezer Scrooge? To be blunt, which of these futures await us? Is it redemption or is it destruction? It all depends on how we respond to the God of Christmas present. And Zechariah reveals him to us in the remaining verses of our passage this morning. Zechariah turns his attention in verse 76 to his newborn son, uh, John. And he speaks of the preparatory ministry that he will have for the Lord, namely uh, Jesus. This ministry will be about Israel uh, being woken up, woken up to realise that the salvation from enemies that the Lord has promised them is bound up with Israel's sin and their need for forgiveness. So that's what John's baptising of Israel in the Jordan River was all about. It was about you know, a cold shower to kind of wake Israel up out of their stupor of oppression from foreign powers. It was to help them realise that their most pressing burden was not Roman taxes, but their own moral laxes. See, they need to see their sin for what it was, that it was a failure to recognise God, a failure to recognise that he was the one whose paths lead to righteousness. But they also needed to see God for who he was. They needed to see the word made flesh in Jesus. And ultimately, of course, Israel did not see that. 
And that's why in just a few short months, we'll be going through the motions of Easter. This is why Jesus wept over Jerusalem. They did not recognise the time of God's visitation to them in Jesus. It's a visitation which Zechariah calls in verse 78, the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. The rising sun, or the dawn here, the one that shines, it's an image that's associated with the arrival of the Christ in the book of Isaiah. And the light of this sun shines on those living in darkness and it exposes our crooked paths that lead to death. And when we admit that we are trudging towards death, well, then we can, through the tender mercy of our God, be removed from those deathly paths and guided onto the path of peace. But for that to occur, we need to take stock of the God of Christmas present. We need to confess that we have created the darkness that we live in through our rejection of him. And then we need to accept the present that was offered to us some 2,000 years ago and is still offered to us now by the God of Christmas present. At Christmas, we will get lots of gifts and we'll have different reactions to some of them, won't we? It can be a challenge to accept some gifts from people. Tim Keller has a great illustration where he talks about, imagine that uh, for Christmas, a friend gives me a book called Getting Fit in a Fortnight. And then imagine that the next friend gives me a book entitled Overcoming Selfishness. Now, if I say to both of my imaginary friends, thank you so very much for these books, well, then I am in a sense admitting that I'm an out-of-shape jerk, aren't I? (laughs) You see, some presents are just really hard to receive. Because they mean admitting that we might have a flaw, we might have a weakness, that we might need help. But the God of Christmas present knows that if we're going to have any hope at Christmas, well, then we have to swallow our pride to a depth of great discomfort for him to be present in our lives. Because the light that dawned in that land of darkness was eventually consumed by our very darkness. We know it literally went Pitch black in the middle of the day when Jesus died. Darkness covered the land once more because the rising sun of the world had been snuffed out for us, by us, to bring us into the light of God's tender mercy and paths of peace that lead to eternal life. The present of life that dawned at Christmas, it means acknowledging that we are the darkness of the world. This is what Zechariah's Christmas carol calls us to reflect upon and remember. God was made present at Christmas to present to you the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of your sin because of the tender mercy of our God. That's a tough present to unwrap. But when you do, like Zechariah, it is certainly worth singing about. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for Zechariah's Christmas carol. We thank you that he calls upon uh, you, the God of Christmas past, and your active memory and mercy. We thank you that he casts our vision to a glorious future where we are redeemed and we can worship you rightly. And we thank you for his message of the Christmas present, that the tender mercy of our God has come to us 
and that it, sh- it shines on us in our darkness, a darkness that we have created. But we thank you that Jesus, the light of the world, was snuffed out for us and that he might rise again and lead us onto paths of peace at Christmas and every day of our lives. Amen.